Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. Take your Bibles, please, and let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 for the conclusion uh, of a series we started a few weeks ago entitled Family Matters. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll be looking at just one verse. It's mainly directed at the men as you're finding your family matters. And I've searched for a title for this. It is mainly directed at men. And so I've simply entitled it, What God Does, Likewise Ye Men. That's what, I've used, that's what I'm using for a title. Father, we pray that as men in this church and as husbands that we would be the kind of men that would reflect the glory of God, the grace of God, the wisdom of God in our families. I do thank you for the men that you've given to us in this church. I pray we're all, Lord, that we'd all be advancing, growing spiritually, and that we would be the kind of men that you could use as a powerful force for your grace and gospel. And Lord, I know it starts at home. That's the, really the template, the validity of truth. Uh, we can't rise higher than that standard of uh, testimony. So I pray that you'd help us as men to be what we ought to be. Commit our time together in the word to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would direct our thoughts. Thank you for your word. Now it speaks to us and convicts us. We certainly need your truth applied to our lives. So today we pray you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll conclude our series this morning on home and family with a lesson, as I mentioned, directed mainly at husbands. Let's read the verse. Just one verse today. It'll be our focus. Uh, some men are already starting to squirm. You need not do that. <laughs> First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being, as being joint heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. As Peter began his instruction in verse 1 to the wives, he uses that word, Likewise, likewise ye husbands, just as uh, the women were commanded and adjoined uh, to, to be in sub submission to their husbands, according to the wonderful example of Christ who submitted to the Father in saving the souls of men, so we are, the word likewise, verse 7, has nothing to do with the wives necessarily, but what the attitude of Christ. In order to save lost humanity, Christ became submissive and humble, humbled himself to the point of death. So we are as men to have the same sort of attitude as Christ did when he dwelt among us. Aren't you glad that Christ dwelt among us, that he came down and lived with us? He didn't just Drop a sign from heaven, believe in God, and you shall be saved. But he came and he lived among us as he did, loving us, living with us, closely communicating with us, walking our streets, and also in our fishing boats. There was a nearness of God to his disciples and to folks. 
He was with us, not only in the mass evangelism, but in those personal one-on-one meetings and encounters. He touched the heads of the little ones and reminded us, this is, the ki- this, this, this is remi- a reminder of the kingdom of heaven. He touched the heads of the little children and he healed the eyes of the blind. He ate uh, our food. He walked again on our streets. He lived with us. He joyed with us. He cried with us. In such a manner, husbands, we are to dwell. In fact, there are four principles that we would like to really key in on this morning, all found in this one verse. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell according with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, heirs together the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. I've already reminded you in this series more than once that God expects our homes, dear friends, to be a picture of his love for the church. We have a great opportunity to testify to the world by the example of how we live at home, of how good our God is and how great the gospel is. So we need to take an honest look. Man, especially the focus is on you this morning Are you leading your home in such a way that your neighbors would say, God is great and God is good. And I want the grace of God that has changed that family. They don't act like the rest of the world. There's something different about them. They reflect the glory of God. So four principles, dwelling, discerning, uh, deferring, and devoting, all from this one little verse. We've talked already a couple weeks ago to the ladies and reminded them that this sweet um, ornament of grace called submission was demonstrated by Christ on his own trial before Pilate. He answered not a word, but submitted to the painful, uh, torturous death on the cross for the cause of, for, for our cause. And he explained uh, also this sub, uh, the issue of subjection that the wives were to display in their home sweetly by Peter in terms of marriage. And that, uh, the verses that just precede what we're going to look at. And then contextually, it was illustrated in Sarah's trust in some very, very difficult situations in her own life. Today we come, Peter doesn't leave the men out. If you wondered why Peter is only spending one verse with the men and six on the lake, I don't know, I don't have the answer. Ask the Lord when we get to heaven. Uh, but uh, we do know that there was a difficult cultural situation for wives and God came and elevated the station of the wife and women greatly exponentially by the teachings that are godly and so now we come to husbands probably should have started with the men right but ladies take good notes in case your husband tends to nod off this morning and remind him graciously later first of all the bible says likewise ye husbands dwell Dwell, don't skip that word. What does it mean to dwell together? You ought to be, uh, in a sense, men, you ought to be lovers of your home. J. Adams writes, God, according to the garden model, made most of us so that we would be lonely without an intimate companion with whom to share our lives. That was God's plan So God provided Eve not only as a helper fit or meet for him, or even primarily as a helper. Ladies, you'll be glad to know this. 
you are more than kitchen help, amen, but as his companion, we covered this in our first lesson on marriage, the foundation, function, and focus of marriage. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, husbands, Peter says, dwell, dwell, abide, be at home with. It means to make your home life your best life. Dwell with your wife, the person that you ought to long to be with, to eat with, to talk to, to return to, to walk with, to work with. Dwell with her under the same roof. Long to be with her, uh, to develop your wish with, wish with, (laughs) wish list, sorry for me to say, your wish list, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. Laugh with her, sleep with her, wake up with her, cry with her, plan with her. Of course, Live with her and die for her. Make your home life your best life. Are you known as a man that loves his home? Or are you always absent on purpose? The Bible says dwell. Marriage is described not only here, but throughout Scripture, beginning in the garden as a place of companionship. Not only in Genesis chapter 2, but also as a reference to this in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17, a negative reference. There, the strange adulterous woman wanders about the streets and forsakes the companion of her youth. Interesting, the Hebrew for that word companion in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17, King James calls it the guide of her youth. It really is the the companion, Hebrew, the one who is tamed. (laughs) That's interesting. You say, well, I don't know if my husband... You know, it's hard to live with a wild beast, isn't it? The Bible uses that phrase in the Hebrew, that word companion, one that has been tamed. It means that while you are vastly different from your husband and men from your wife uh, in, in your physiology or your your physical nature and in how you think and how you react and what you love, your taste, your irritations. Uh, But together you have tamed yourself in order to live with somebody else. And you do that in a godly way. When you get married, two become one. Obviously you cannot live with an untamed, wild creature. Marriage, men demands a close, intimate relationship, loving relationship, a dwelling with your wife. We often forget as men that our dwelling doesn't mean yelling. Does your husband have a den? One boy asked uh, uh, another uh, woman, does your, does your husband, no, he just growls and all over the house. It's just an ugly scene where he acts like a wild animal. And I hope your home isn't like that, men. There ought to be a gracious dwelling together. Companionship is also seen in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. The Lord has been a witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. God speaking, of course, to his people Israel or Judah. To whom you have been dealing treacherously or unfaithfully, yet she is thy companion, the Bible says. 
She is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. How good of God to remind all of us who are men that not only are we joined together with our wives by means of the promise we made at a marriage altar, the covenant, but we are companions, we are friends, we ought to be. How important is that? Today, we look at what that means from this verse, one verse in the New Testament. Companionship. In his high priestly prayer, the Lord says something that is touching, always has touched my heart. John 17, verse 21, the Lord says, Father, as you praying, one of the last prayers that he would pray for his disciples, I pray for my disciples that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. You think about that. I'm praying for my disciples that we would have the unity that is known in the Trinity. Wow. And that the world, excuse me, and, and that they would be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent us. There is huge theological implications to your relationship at home with your wife. As you exude this oneness and work on it, it reflects to the world the oneness that the Godhead has. Wow. And it is the attracting principle for those who are lost in your neighborhood as they glance at you and look at you and study you. He goes on to say, Father, I wish, uh, I am praying, I want them, verse uh, 21 of that same chapter, John said, I am praying, Lord, for them that they might be with me where I am. There's a longing that God has in heaven for us to be with him in his home. And that's the prayer that he makes I hope that, men, that you think about home as the place that you want to be, the place that you love the most in terms of this earthly situation. Proximity, however, does not equal intimacy. The closeness of your unity and fellowship with your wife is a calling card to the lost around you. This dwelling place that Robin and I call our home, it should be a snapshot of heaven itself. So we are to see that husbands are to understand, first of all, that dwelling is a fostering a companionship that pleases God and attracts other to the, others to the gospel. And husbands, we are the ones that must lead in fostering this relationship. We must work on it. Dwelling is this companionship, this friendship, this kinship that pleases God and attracts others to his wonderful gospel of grace. There is a second principle that I want us to see in the text this morning. Again, verse 7, that's where we're going to camp. We go from the idea of companionship and fostering that sweet relationship to the next idea, and that is called discerning, the delightful discipline of discovery that leads to greater intimacy of heart. Let me say that again, the delightful discipline of discovery that leads to wisdom and intimacy of heart. How well, men, speaking to you, how well do you know your wife? And how has that knowledge impacted your relationship? The translation here in the Greek, likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, the 
root of that is no sin or no sin with consideration or with a wise application of intellectual knowledge. Really, that's wisdom and discernment. To know a thing starts with revelation and truth and knowledge. We're to be students of our wives in order that we might lead them wisely. Um, Often a couple will come uh, for marriage counseling and all they're consumed with is their own needs. And that's, uh, they they just come and they pour their heart out. He, He isn't giving me what I need. She isn't giving to me what I need. And they're filled up with what they want out of marriage. And she will often say, I'm a woman. I need a man who's sensitive, caring, romantic, and loves to shop. <laughs> and, 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 and he's not that. He is rough and unromantic, unrefined, and loves to hunt. Well, she's asking him to be something he is never going... Well, he's not. As a man, he is called by God to be protector, a frontline soldier, to be a worker, a warrior. That's who God made him. Now, certainly he needs to work on the gentler graces. But she is saying, I want something that I am. I want him to be what I am. God's made the woman to be a reflector in many ways and a gracious, emotional creature. And that's who she is. But he's just being a man. He will always be a man. Praise God for that. God made him with a thicker hide, a harder head, a quest for adventure. And God is not asking men to be weak or effeminate. The Lord knows we have enough of those in our culture today. Amen? God is calling men to be men. It doesn't mean here that this acquired knowledge of who your wife is and how she thinks and what she needs is going to some way emasculate you. God's called us to stand up and be men, but God has made us, and ladies, you need to understand that, with a certain role and responsibility, but it does not exclude knowing you as our wife. God made men to stand up strong against the winds of life, to protect, to work, to war for our families. We change tires in the rain, we fix roofs, Solve problems logically, often at the expense of emotion. And you want that in your man. I can't think of a time, ladies, when I looked at a cat and said, Ah, In fact, I can't think of a time when I said that. Ah, We're different. God made us differently. To ignore the differences is wrong, man. We need to do our part to understand. So when Peter, by inspiration, speaking to men in particular here in verse 7, says, dwell with them according to knowledge, he's asking men not to be less than men, but to be careful observers of our wives, an awareness that leads us to live in an understanding and considerate way. That's what he means. First century Christians especially in that culture, in that dynamic, in that day, women were, were treated as, as less than cattle in, some, in certain respects. They were objects, and they were seen much, really not much more than possessions for the purpose of bearing children. And Jewish men were also, in a real sense, dismissive of their wives. And so 
The Lord says, men, be a student, be considerate, be careful, be an observer, pay attention to her, be an observer of her heart. No relationship begins without some sort of, uh, of revelation of who, who we are together. After you got married and said, I do, and I will, and I shall, and I'll live with this, this dear woman for the rest of my life, and good times and bad times, sickness and health, richer for poorer, till death do us part, doesn't mean you can just absolve yourself of being a lifetime learner. And it goes beyond this pursuit of knowledge, men, and I speak to you pointedly, goes beyond the biological facts that a woman is typically smaller in frame, stronger, abdominal muscles, lower rate of metabolism. She can stand sleep deprivation better than a man. Her bones are weaker, voice higher, Adam's apple less pronounced, bears children. These are some of the obvious things. And Peter isn't necessarily saying, hey, wake up, man. They're different than you physically. He's saying pay attention to them in such a way that their desires, their moods, their heart, their loves are known to you, their life, their schedule. What matters to them matters to you. Know who they are. Build a relationship. Be aware of them. I think it, it even goes beyond little personality. You say, Pastor, you know, you've been married how many? Over 35 years. Moving on 36. I got to think for a minute. That's how well I know. And I know Robin a little bit by now. Um, she loves hummingbirds, birds of all kinds, especially owls. She loves laughing babies, murder mysteries. I don't get that. Grandkids, shopping. Her eyes are brownish. Chocolate, she loves of all kinds. I know these little things about my wife, but that again is interesting stuff, but not necessarily the force of the passage. To notice uh, your wife with an understanding, considerate heart, to be aware of her longings, hurts, needs, fears, spiritual condition, that is the investment, men, that we must continually make. We can't just check out when we come home from work. We can't do that. We can't settle for a mediocre marriage. The same fervor that you expended when you were pursuing her. Remember those days must be continually true of your married life, no matter if you've been married 10, 30, 50, or 100 years, you are to pursue her and to know her. Her heart, by listening, learning, loving, and leading her. Lupriolo says, to the extent a man seeks to know discerningly, there's the word, his wife's heart, to, to that same degree, he will find a growing intimacy with her. To the degree he neglects that calling, he will find himself on an island, even though he's living under the same roof as his spouse. He will be isolated from his wife. But the command here is given to the man. Know her. Love her. Discern with consideration her needs. You might think, why is that given to the man who struggles? Well, because we struggle with this. We're not naturally, men, would you do this? We're not naturally gifted at that like our wives are. They have relational radar. 
they can walk into a church body like this in about in 10 minutes know who's having a good day or a bad day. I, I don't always get that. And Robin picks things up relationally that I'm clueless about. Women have this ability as standard equipment. And men, we need to work at this. Notice her. Nothing communicates I love you more than a man who is tuned in to his wife's heart, her needs, her loves, her desires, her spiritual condition, her fears and concerns. Dwelling, it's right there in the text. Dwell with them according to knowledge, discernment. Then we go to number three, and it's the concept of deferring. Deferring. Let's read the verse here and add to what we've already learned, this idea of, of just deferring. We are to walk and learn and live with our wives according to knowledge, dwell with them, discernment, giving honor to our wife as to the weaker vessel. We're to give honor. Don't miss this. I call this deference. It doesn't mean when we honor our wives that we subjugate ourselves to their leadership, that we let them direct the spiritual life of the family, that we let we kind of step aside and say, okay, I'm going to honor you, honey, by letting you take over. No, God's giving us, given us the job of leading our families. Men, let's not let our wives hijack that or give that to them by subjection. No, we're still called to be the spiritual leaders, so stand up to that. This, this verse does not mean that we are to, to kind of give up our position as family leaders, no, but we are to give respect, honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. It's important to know this does not necessarily mean, I wanted to start with that, that we give over the leadership of the home to the wife. And we have to note that Peter here is not referring to the fact that our, our wives are in some way less valuable, <laughs> weaker mentally than us. No. In fact, if intelligence was the prerequisite to leading a home, most women would be leading. I know in our house that would be the case. Women would lead the home. I mean, thank God for how sharp mentally and intelligent God has given uh, the acumen of our wives. So intelligence is not what Peter means. The weaker vessel. Weakness simply here would be one of physical makeup. And to some degree, emotions may be involved, although that's not explicit in the text. Sometimes, in some marriages, the wife is more emotionally stable than the man. So definitely, though, God has made the wife or the woman with a weaker physical frame. And we have to understand that and respect our wives and nurture them and call that into remembrance as we walk this trail of life together with them. And we are to really protect and treasure them. The idea here is to honor with great respect, care, and deference, to treat with great honor, and to place high value on the treasure of our spouse, our wife. Maybe you have seen this. I, I've seen it often at a and one of the shows that I enjoy watching is Antiques Roadshow. Um, and I'm not saying, wives, that you are antiques, please, for the record. But 
isn't it amazing what happens? Somebody will show up. Let's say it's a man. He shows up with a, a vase or whatever he finds. Let's say it's a vase. He finds it at a flea market or Goodwill garage sale. And he, he's always asked the question first. What did you pay for this? Well, I paid $3.75. And what you been doing with this? You know, this, the estimator over there, the guy that's the expert that knows what things are worth is talking to the one who brings in the object. And what, what's your, what you been, well, it's been down in the, the base. Well, it's been in my garage just collecting dust, but I, I figured since Antique Roadshow was near town, I'd come bring it in. I don't know what it's worth. How much you pay for it again? Three seventy-five. Well, this vase is, and he goes on to the Ming Dynasty. It's worth $4,137.62. Have you ever noticed what the man does with the vase after that? Blows the dust off it, and he walks out of that place just hugging that thing. <laughs> Probably thinking, I'm going to sell it. Nobody has a different attitude about it, Right? It becomes no longer a dusty object in the attic or in the garage. But it becomes now this valuable treasure to him. We are to see men, our wives, differently perhaps. After age tends to cloud our thoughts and perhaps a few fights along the way have jaded our view of how precious and how valuable a treasure is that God has placed us together with in the journey of life. Just think of it for a minute, men, how sad your life would be if God would take her from you. How valuable. And I just encourage you, this has nothing to do with the text immediately. But if you like to read interesting stories, this is extra credit uh, by the time perhaps... You get to home groups tonight. You get extra credit on your homework. If you read the little story about Johnny Lingo and his eight-cow wife, that's just for what it's worth. I don't usually give homework from the pulpit, but it's a, a wonderful little story, short story, about Johnny Lingo and his eight-cow wife. Some of you are, don't Google that. Just stick, stay with me here. Well, have we forgotten, men, back to the text, the fervor of our first love, the chivalry, the courtesy, the manners, the gracious speech, the glowing words about our wife in front of others or our fiancé in front of others? Have you noticed her, how precious she is to me, how great she is, what a treasure we have? And so to... Be deferring is to simply mean uh, you honor her with great respect. You defer to her, um, often to her ideas or values or her desires in life. And then one final thought. Dwelling means this unity of companionship, discernment, knowledge leading to intimacy, deference, honor, respect with kindness and consideration. And then we see... Peter, as he ends the verse by this idea of devoting, to see the main purpose of our marriage not as self-fulfillment or even a great marriage, but as it is how God intended it for ministry. He ends this verse with an almost an interesting twist. We're thinking about 
perhaps repairing our relationships in order that we might have a more pleasing marriage. And God, uh, through Peter, brings us back to the reality of why we are married in the first place. As being joint heirs together, the grace of life, that could be marriage, that could be a family, it certainly, in the context, has to do with spiritual life, that your prayers be not hindered. Peter is assuming, men, that you are having devotions, at least with your wife and your home, you're leading it. There's a spiritual implication to this, that your prayers be not hindered. How sad it is when God, because of your walk with your wife, disconnects from you. You say, how could God do that? How scandalous of God. Uh, Doesn't he know I'm a deacon? Doesn't he know that I pay my bills on time? I pay my taxes? Doesn't he know I come to church regularly? Doesn't he know? Why is God deaf to me? Maybe you ought to ask your children that. They're pretty good observers. Is your home... Nothing more than grouching and fighting, ignoring and blaming and neglecting. If it is, God has every right to simply disconnect in terms of vitality, in terms of your spiritual ministry and life. He is saying to us that your horizontal relationship matters in terms of your vertical relationship with God. And if you're out of sorts and out of fellowship with your family, your wife especially, when you're broken there don't expect God to come running and bless you when you pray how sad pride is in a marriage an unrepentant harsh husband who will never bow a knee and say honey I was wrong my spirit was wrong my attitude was wrong it's sinful the way I was responding to you will you forgive me I want to be right with you so that I can be right with God. J. Vernon McGee had a wonderful way of speaking. He said, when couples fight like dogs and cats, the Lord turns a deaf ear. Why? He answers the question, because the Lord doesn't hear the prayers of dogs and cats. If you're acting like a wild animal... Back to this whole idea of tamed. And you're fighting and growling and grouching with the one you've committed your life to. Don't expect God to just do great things, miraculous things for you. And how simple is the remedy? Just simply today, men, you ought to be the chief repenter in your home. Why is it we're so proud? Why is it that we say, God, when she changes, I'll change? When she gets right with you, I might get right with you. That's just pride, stinking old pride. God expects you as a man to be the leader in prayers that get up to heaven. And it starts with this list that we've talked about today. The greatest tragedy of unresolved, unsettled bitterness is the deafness of our God. 
How sad it is to regard iniquity in our hearts and to find the Lord turning from us. So we need to quit that, that spirit of harshness, uh, of being inconsiderate in our homes, unkind, no honor or respect, no concern, no awareness of the one that is living with us as our closest neighbor. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot speaks to men. She says this, the important thing for you as men to remember is that a woman cannot properly be a responder to you unless you are properly the initiator. The man must take the lead, that's what Peter is saying, in order that she may follow. Such humility makes it only natural for a wife to follow and submit. The willingness of a man to repent gives the wife greater freedom to follow in her own repentance and submission. Man, God's called us to lead in these glorious disciplines of grace. Men who follow the Lord with consideration for their wife rarely find a wife unwilling to respond to such leadership. Let's read the verse again as we wrap up today. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, Likewise, what? Likewise, as Christ was humble before his father. Husbands, you need to be humble before the father as well. Dwell with them, your wife, according to knowledge, discernment, wise application of your wife, giving honor, deference unto her as unto the weaker vessel, as being joint heirs together of this grace of life. What a privilege it is to be married. Don't take that for granted. And do so in a devoted way that your prayers be not hindered. I wonder if your neighbor could come by and throw open the curtains on your home life. What would he see you and your wife? <clears throat> How would he see you suffering together? Singing together, praying together, working together, laughing together, or would he even see you together at all? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.